Welcome to the Echo Church Podcast. Echo is a group of people in Cincinnati, Ohio, who love Jesus, love hanging out, and are navigating the ups and downs of our faith together. We're glad you're here. We're now in our series called Journey of the Redeemed. It's a study in the book of Luke, and as we explore the life of Jesus, we also examine our own journeys shaped by him. Well, we talked about it, and we talked about it, kept going back and forth, and finally, Steve made the call. We had something happen in our house a few weeks ago, and we had to call an arborist. I really love trees. Love greenery is surrounding us. I mean, we have parking lots surrounding our house, so as much green trees as we can have, it's wonderful. But if you want to play the video, Dylan... We had to have three trees removed. Steve called, and we thought there was one that was really dangerous because every storm that hit, and it started to be like not just a major storm, but then even a slightly harsher wind than normal, and branches would be down beside us. And I kept thinking, something is going to hit one of our, our house or one of our cars. It just was very dangerous. And the arbor said three different locust trees were actually dying. So this amazing equipment, we, we had a whole spectacle on our street. There's an Airbnb across the street from us, and the people, family with children, came and just sat on the sidewalk and watched these really cool machines happen. And so I thought, it's very sad to lose the greenery, but, you know, balancing out safety. So at least it was interesting to watch. We actually, they did some drone footage. Maybe our house will be in a commercial for this company. But they did care, and they said that their plan was in order to evaluate trees. They care about the plants, and they were only going to suggest the best course of action. So that made me feel a little better. But there's something about that removal of these trees that were important, but also dying, that reminds me of today's scripture passage. We're going to get there in just a minute, in Luke chapter 3. Our current series is called Journey of the Redeemed, and we're going to look at the way our lives are shaped and redeemed by Jesus' life on earth. And we're going through several different segments or chapters in this journey, and the one today is called Burning Sand, Bubbling Springs, and you're going to see some desert and some water today that was our motivation for this name. Now, while we won't see Jesus in action just yet in today's message, we will meet the one who came before, who is destined to pave the way. And we met him last week. We got John's origin story. John is the cousin of Jesus, and his birth was a miracle. His parents, Zechariah and Elizabeth, they were faithful. They were dedicated Jewish believers just living their lives. But they lived for years and had no child. And an angel appeared to Zechariah and said, you are going to have a child, and he is going to be filled with God's spirit, and he is going to prepare people's hearts for Jesus to come. The thing is, we looked at the way God took this entire plan, this eternal plan from creation to eternity, and he zoomed in on one single household. And we realized that we can be a part of God's plan. That was our message last week, and so now we're going to see John has grown up, and it says he's been living out in the wilderness, and now let's see the way he prepared people's hearts. Luke chapter 3, 
And I'm going to begin reading in verses 1 and 2 for us today. In the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, when Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea, Herod, tetrarch of Galilee, his brother Philip, tetrarch of Eturia and Trachonitis, and Licinius was tetrarch of Abilene. During the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. There's a lot of names here, so we came up with a chart. So we can check out all of the people trying to provide leadership to the country of Israel. First, we've got the Caesar, because as we said before, Israel was part of the Roman Empire of this time. Tiberius, he was the successor of Caesar Augustus, who was the first emperor of the Roman Empire. Tiberius was a violent man, but it's, he kind of left things alone per country right now. The reason Israel was so valuable to Rome was their location. Let's check out a Google map and notice where Israel lies. It's connecting Africa, Asia, Europe, right on the Mediterranean Sea. And you can see how much desert there is there. But if we zoom in on the second map, you can see that there's green fertile land right there, right along the sea. So valuable to trade and to power. So Israel was vital for Rome. And so while they left it alone for a while, Herod the Great was overseeing Israel as the Jewish king. And when he died, the kingdom was split into four. Four parts that they called tetrarchs. And the original rulers of these tetrarchs were Herod's three sons and his sister. But after a while, the leadership shifted. And Rome starts getting concerned because Jerusalem is very valuable to it. And so they're like, We need somebody, boots on the ground, we're sending our own person, and a Roman governor came, and that's Pontius Pilate. And we're going to hear more about him at Easter time. That's probably when you recognize that name. So we've got the two Roman, Caesar, governor. And then we said that there was tetrarchs. There's only three segments left. They're ruled by some Jewish guys, and we've still got Herod's son, Herod II, Antipas, and Philip, which was his brother. Both of those were still sons of Herod. So then, well, actually, because of the Jewish people here, the Tetrarchs, the people in Israel are like, well, we see this authority that you have, so-called authority. But they knew Rome was really in charge, so there was kind of like this, well, they kind of looked at them skeptically, like, I'm not fully feeling like that you're in charge of me. And then we finally get to the high priests, who are the religious leaders of the day. And they kind of had an air of their own royalty. They weren't really royalty, but they kind of took on that importance. And you could feel it. So do you see how it's a little messy here? We've got Romans. We've got Jewish people. And they're all vying for their piece of the power. And in this mix, in all the mess, it gave space for ministry. John starts preaching. And he's kind of under the radar for a while. People are worried about their own power, and they kind of don't realize that some people are headed out into the wilderness to hear from this person preaching out there. Let's continue reading verse 3. John went into the country around the Jordan, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. 
a couple of things here. First, I don't know what you think of wilderness. I still picture trees and things for some reason, but the Judean wilderness, I have a picture here, it's all desert. So definitely this is our burning sand. And that's where John is out there. Number two is, I want us to have a full picture of John. Luke is super straightforward, jumps right to John's ministry. But Matthew, Matthew gives us some details in his gospel. He describes John as this. John's clothes were made of camel's hair. He had a leather belt around his waist. His food was locusts and wild honey. That's a different visual. Can you picture him now? Living out in the wilderness. Clothes seem a little bit itchy. Honey, I can get. Locusts are pretty sustainable, but I don't want to try them right now. And John is talking about baptism. And hopefully you know that you've seen baptism. Some people practice it by pouring water. Those of us here are part of Echo. We believe in the going down under into the water. And maybe you've seen a baptistry at a church. Well, the Jewish people, they were familiar with this kind of idea. They did mikvah which was a baptistry outside of the temple where you would cleanse yourself to be ceremonially clean before going into worship. And archaeologists have uncovered an ancient mikvah here. This is at the temple of Jerusalem. And they were used to that idea, like, okay, it's time to go to worship. I've got to be ceremonially clean. But John's saying, I have a different baptism. This baptism is for repentance. It's changing your heart. It's an internal thing that you have to look deep inside yourself and figure out what are you doing? Seeking the forgiveness of sins. Learning to live a different way. John's like, I've got this baptism here and God wants us to do something deeper and more permanent in this ceremony. Let's keep going. Luke 3, verses 4 through 6. As it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. Every valley shall be filled in, every mountain and hill made low. The crooked roads shall become straight, the rough ways smooth. All people will see God's salvation. This is a beautiful concept of John's ministry prophesied back in Isaiah that that there was going to be a way made ready for the Lord. And we're pretty familiar here in Cincinnati with hills. If you bike, walk, run, anything, you feel the hills, right? And it would be kind of nice sometimes when you're having to go somewhere. If there was just a little bit flatter, if the way was just a little bit smoother, John was doing this in a spiritual sense. How do we prepare a spiritual path to connect people to God, to make it accessible for everyone? This was John's job. Let's keep going in verse 7. John said to the crowds, all the crowds who were coming out into the wilderness, they were leaving the city, going out into the desert just to hear him preach. He looks at the crowds coming out to be baptized by him and says, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit, keeping with repentance. Do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. 
The axe is already at the root of the trees, and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. John's going out some people here. What is the deal? Well, even though there was crowds, there were some people among the crowds. Those religious leaders we talked about, the high priests, they were in charge of the Sadducees, and there was also a group called the Pharisees. They were the ones that everyone would go to to learn about God. They're teaching, they're preaching. They are the spiritual authority in this community. But now someone else is out there. Someone else's voice is preaching. Well, they probably got a little bit intimidated, maybe not intimidated, threatened, maybe frustrated. So they head out into the wilderness to see what John is talking about. And he calls them out in front of the whole crowd. He talks about their motivation for being there. Sure, John wants people to come out and be baptized for the right reasons, to hear the voice of God for the right reasons. But he's saying that their motivation is impure. And the verse that he says about Abraham's son, these religious leaders felt very proud that they could trace their genealogy, their heritage, through this beautiful line of Jewish history. But John says it's not enough to just be born into this. Your life has to show that it's different because you have encountered God. And that's what John was wanting for people. That an encounter with Yahweh, the Lord God, would change them. And it didn't stop at the common people. This message was for the leaders too. Let's continue in verse 10. So after the crowd hears John calling out the leaders, they're starting to feel a little bit convicted themselves. What should we do then, the crowd asked. John asks, answered, anyone who has two shirts should share with the one who has none. Anyone who has food should share also. Even tax collectors came to be baptized. Teacher, they asked, what should we do? Don't collect any more than you are required to, he told them. Soldiers asked him, what should we do? He said, don't extort money, don't accuse people falsely, and be content with your pay. So there we have it. John is calling people trees that are dead. So the people ask, like, well, how do we be life-giving again? How do we be a tree that produces fruit? And he gives several examples, and I really like it. Because he's like, hey, you have extra? Share it. It seems simple enough, but I don't know if this has ever happened to you, but sometimes it's easy to look around because there's always someone that has more than us, right? And you think, well, sure, they should be giving what they have, but sometimes we neglect to look in our own lives and realize, I've got some extra. What are your two shirts? Sometimes, yeah, you don't have as many resources as someone else, but you have time, you have experience, And we're called to keep giving back, to not hold it for ourselves. There are all kinds of ways to give to our communities, to get involved, to get involved right here at church, to give of your time as well as your talent and your knowledge and your resources. There's always something extra. Look into your own heart, look into your own lives and see. None of us are without excuse. None of us are off the hook God has provided some things in our lives in order for us to share it with others. Because that's the point. When you pray and ask for God to provide something in your life, how many times does it come 
automatically show up at your door? Or how many times does it come through someone else? When God answers prayer, he answers it through each other. And just as people have been the answer to prayer in your life, he is calling you. He is giving you extra in some part of your life. And he wants you to be the answer to prayer to someone else, to share that. None of us are off the hook. John also says, if you have power, use it well. The tax collectors, they held power over people. They could say, this is what you owe. They were legally obligated to pay. But the tax collectors had a reputation for putting some in their own pockets. John says, stop. That seems obvious. The soldiers here being talked about are likely Jewish soldiers, not the Romans, the soldiers that we'll talk about later. And he said, I don't care how much Herod pays you or doesn't pay you. That doesn't give you an excuse to extort money for others. Because you think, oh, well, it's just to make my job better. But you're harming someone else. Esau Macaulay is a professor of New Testament. And in his book, Reading While Black, he said this, John calls upon those with power to use that power to uphold the inherent dignity of all residents and to never use that power for their own ends. And he calls on people today to do the same thing. And I kept thinking about it, that yes, these two forms of not extorting money, it was about the influence and the power that they held. This is another area of our lives that we are called to also enact. And I often think, well, I don't have that much power. I'm not, that, I'm not very influential. And maybe you think that too. An influencer on Instagram has got thousands of followers. I don't have that. But there's something that you do. There's someone that you influence. Whether it's kids, whether it's your spouse, your friends, your coworkers. The words you say and the actions you do, people notice. They make a difference and they either build up or they tear down. And that's power. How are you using your influence to build others up? Let's keep going into verse 16. Because now the people have been convicted. They're hearing John's message. And he feels very influential. So this is what they think. Verse 15. The people were waiting expectantly. They all wondered in their hearts if John might possibly be the Messiah. But John answered this, I baptize you with water, but one who is more powerful than I will come. The straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor, to gather the wheat into his barn. He will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. Did you catch the threshing floor there? We've talked about this back at Ruth. Do you remember our story when Ruth met Boaz on the threshing floor at night? And we said the process there was to take tools and you gather all of the harvest, but not all of it is edible. And so with tools, they will separate it. And the wheat, the edible part goes here. The chaff gets discarded. And John's message is similar to what he just said about trees. This part is life-giving. This group over here is easily discarded. And which are we? Jesus, he said, will come. He didn't mention him by name. He just said, there's somebody coming. 
and he's going to easily tell which pile you're in. When I hear this message, when I read about John, I have to be honest, it feels harsh. Sometimes I like to skim over him, and I'm like, let's just get to Jesus. He seems nicer. But truly, John's words, they're powerful because he's basically just saying, look, there are people in this world who are giving life. They're building hope. They're looking outside of themselves and trying to make others better. But all of these other choices that he was saying to stop doing, it boils down to looking at self. If you take money for yourself, if you, if you hold on to all your resources for yourself, then you become just like the tree that's dying and sick and you just cause damage. People who only look inwardly, we know people like that because their choices are so self-involved that it's hard to be around them because we feel like we're disturbed in the wake. But John is calling out what it's hard for me to hear because I need to look and see what are the choices I'm making that are self-involved, that are not looking out for the good of others. His message here today is the same. The same as what we need to hear. He was preaching to ancient people, to leaders, and yet, yet we know that this is about us too. Let's finish up John's message With many other words, John exhorted the people, proclaimed good news to them. He didn't just call them out. He he talked about the good too. But when John rebuked Herod, the Tetrarch, because of his marriage to Herodias, his brother's wife, and all the other evil things he had done, Herod added this to them all. He locked John up in prison. We're going to come back to that piece later. But John gets put in prison. His words, his message from God, from God's spirit, he called out a leader in power. He called him out and he said, you broke up your brother's marriage and married his wife. And Herod did not like that. But all of these things, why John is speaking to the religious leaders the same way he's speaking to those in authority. He's like, you hate the Roman rule, and what are you doing? You're acting like them. You are being just as self-involved. You are not caring for other people the way God has called you to. And both Herod Antipas and Caesar, Jewish and Roman authorities, they use their power to push people down. And John was saying God's way is to use power to influence and build up and make life better. God's leadership wasn't just about a class of special people. John's message is to say that God has invited all of us. We are all called into this way. We are all called to live a life that's life-giving and part of God's plan. We don't have to have a title for that to happen. There's something I read this week. I learned about a study that was referenced in a book, and Dr. Ming Kuo, she studied for 30 years about the effect that nature has on human beings. Dr. Kuo works at the University of Illinois, and in the 1990s, she studied how people lived in inner-city Chicago. 
And she looked at the difference of where people lived in this one giant apartment building. And those who faced the greenery, the trees, the grass outside, they reacted differently in their mental and physical health, even in, in, this, in the burdens of the city, as those who faced the concrete on the other side of the building. And fascinated by that, she kept building on this research. And over the years, she has confirmed, and she describes it as this, that nature is like a multivitamin because it helps our mental health. It helps our physical health. And I just couldn't help think that although this is now research that we can pinpoint today, God knew that when he made the trees. He knew that. And so I feel like that when he gave John this metaphor to use, he didn't do so lightly. Because I don't think God likes trees coming down any more than I was sad to see our trees go. Because God knew that he was giving it to human beings to care for us in ways that we hadn't even discovered yet. And so I believe even further that when God uses this metaphor about our lives, that he doesn't do so lightly that there's tears in his eyes when people are not giving life. And so I feel like that as we look into the word of God, even when we see a harsh message, we have to know that God is willing to risk the pain here because he doesn't want damage to be caused further here. And he gives us chance among chance again. Right now, we can look into our lives and see, are we being life-giving? Are there parts, are there branches to our lives that need to be trimmed back? There's still life yet. But it's our chance to respond. That's our call. Are we going to be life-giving? Are we going to be self-involved? We get to respond. The people who went out into the wilderness and heard John's message, he said, you can be, respond right now. You can be baptized. You can go think about this for a while, but I want you to to respond. Because when you hear a message, you don't go away unchanged. You're going to either have to ignore it or you're going to have to be convicted by it. So as we live as people who are redeemed, how do we do that? Last week we said we just keep doing the work and knowing God will use it exponentially. This week our message is, if we're going to be the redeemed people of God, we need to RSVP. I always like that because I took French. Respondez s'il vous plaît. It sounds so fancy. It just means respond, please. And that's what John was saying. He said, God just didn't call you to come and have power and to look good on the outside or to show up in worship every week. God called you to respond. And whether you're way up high here on authority or you're lowly, it doesn't matter. We all get the chance for the same response. To change inside, to follow God, to live for something outside of ourselves, for someone outside of ourselves. This is how we prepare our hearts to meet Jesus. Respond. So, My encouragement to you this week, when you're outside, look at the trees and think about what's going on in your heart and the life that you're able to give and to bring to this world. Will you pray with me?
God, thank you for the beauty of nature that's always been providing for us that you created. You've been sustaining us in ways that we didn't know for a long time. Thank you. Thank you for the opportunity to bring life to other people through our words and our actions. Thank you also for forgiveness because we don't do it right. We don't always act on others' behalf. We act selfishly. We thank you for the opportunity to come and seek your forgiveness to start anew each day. Your, new, your mercies are new every morning and we come to you and we say, thank you, Lord. Help us to bring life today. We thank you for John's message and for the ministry he had on this earth. And we thank you for Jesus, for his redemption. We love you, Lord. Amen. Thank you for the gift of your attention today. If you ever want to join Echo Church in person, we meet on Sundays at 1030 a.m., You'll find us at 1301 East McMillan Street. That's in the Walnut Hills neighborhood of Cincinnati, Ohio, just up the street from our city's beautiful Eden Park. Find out more about us on our website, echochurch.org. Have a great week.